Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. You're such an awesome God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that the book that we're looking at tonight, though written nearly 4,000 years ago, still has an impact on our lives today. and still applies to us today. And Lord, we just ask, Father God, as we look at your word, that our hearts would be soft. We'd be prepared to hear from you tonight, that you might be glorified, that we might be conformed more to your image. Lord, we pray again that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Last week in, in Exodus chapter 6, we looked at the, the source of a successful calling or ministry. You know, a lot of times in the world today, we think that ministry is based upon how equipped we are. You know, if I just go get enough degrees, you know, I've even had people tell me, well, you know, you'll be a better pastor if you went out and got your doctorate in theology. And not that I have a problem with that or anything, but the reality is, it's not about degrees, it's about calling. If we're not called by God, we can get all the education we want, and it's going to be, it's going to be useless. It's going to be meaningless. And it's true in every ministry. If you're doing ministry because you've been drafted by men, it's going to come to nothing. But if you do stuff because God has called you, it will bear much fruit. And last week we saw three things. And we'll look at tonight's chapter. But last week we saw that for ministry to be successful, one, it must originate with God and not man. It must be done in the power of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of men. All of our plans are worth nothing if the Holy Spirit's not in it. And you know what? That's the key. When I look for people to do ministry in the body, I look for people who love the Lord. I look for people who love to pray. I look for, I look for people who are in the Word. You know what? Because you can't take somebody to a place you've never been yourself. I can't take this church to a place of intimacy with God where I've never been myself. If I'm not spending time in prayer, then I'm not going to be able to lead you guys to that place. If I'm not spending time in the Word, I can't share that with you. So that's the key. It's got to originate with God and not with men. And it's got to be done in His power. Second of all, we can, be, we can trust in God's faithfulness to His promises. And because that's true, we need to walk obedient to the Word of God. Not only do we need to be called, we need to walk in obedience. You know what? Because the Bible says very clearly that to obey is better than sacrifice. God loves obedience. That's the highest form of worship that there is, is obeying God's Word. It's saying, Lord, I trust you so much that I'm going to obey you. Whatever your word says, that's good enough for me. I don't need the confirmation from 47 other people. It's in the Bible. That's the answer. And then lastly, remembering, as we talked about last week, that we are simply tools in His hands. We are only valuable when in the hands of the Master. We used the analogy of a dentist last week. I told you about having a real bad root canal. I had to run in for emergency dental work. And the guy met me on Thanksgiving night at about 11 o'clock and did dental work on my, on my mouth. And when he was all done, I, wouldn't, I didn't get on my knees and thank the drill. Oh, thank you, drill. You're such an awesome drill. I didn't do that. Why? Because that drill, not in the hands of the master, is worthless. It's the dentist who I was thinking because he's the one that took the pain away. Amen? And you know what? We don't thank the tools. We thank the master. And so anything that happens, to God alone be all the glory because if we have any gifts, he's the one that gave them to us. Amen? And it's wrong for us to take credit for something that God has done. May we never touch the glory of God. Then we saw the ancestry of Moses and Aaron last week. The reason that's important is we saw that these guys came from the line of Levi. Levi was a murderer, and yet God used these men mightily. And that says to me that, you know what, it doesn't matter what my family background is like. It doesn't matter what things maybe I've gone on in the past. The reality is, if I've been born again, I'm a new creation in Christ, and God can use me. Amen? And then lastly, we looked at the end of the story, God reaffirming to Moses that he was, his, he was called to be the spokesman, that God was going to use him. Beginning in verse 29 of chapter 6, let's take a look right there. I want to look at this real quick. It says, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. So he says to him, I am the Lord. The word Lord there is Yahweh 
which means he is the Redeemer. Prior to this chapter, most of the time when you see the name Lord, it's El Shaddai, which means all-powerful. And now he says, I am Yahweh. I am the Redeemer. I am the Deliverer. So though Moses is being called by God to go and deliver the people out of Egypt, the Deliverer is truly not Moses, but the Lord. Amen? Moses is the tool in the hand of the Master that would deliver the people. And as he walks in obedience, God will use him mightily, but to God alone be all the glory, not to men. You know, so often, even in ministry, we can make the mistake of going in and candidating for a position. And we, we go in and we want to put our best foot forward. We want to tell people all the weight great and wonderful things we've done in ministry. Here's the reality, guys. You've done nothing. I've done nothing. We've all done nothing apart from what Christ does through us. And to him alone be all the glory. Amen? And so what we're looking for is people who are broken and humble that God might use them. And he says to him, I want you to go. I am the Lord. That's great news. And then he says to him, speak to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And I pointed out last week that he said, speak to him all that I say to you. And that means that as believers, we are to speak the whole counsel of God. Amen? He says, I want you to tell him all, that, don't just pick out a few things that I share with you, Moses, and tell those couple of things to Pharaoh because you're afraid of how he might react. Don't water down the message. Don't give him the highlights. I want you to tell him everything that I tell you. And you know what? As Christians, we need not to hold back on God's word. We need to teach him the whole counsel of God. Share everything that's in the Bible. Amen? Because all of it is still for today. Then lastly, he said, But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh listen to a man like me? That's what he's basically saying. He said, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And you know, while this comes across as humility, you've got to remember that the Lord has told him numerous times that he's going to use him. And there becomes a point where humility and brokenness, in the sense of false humility, becomes doubt. You know, if the Lord tells us he's going to use us, we need to trust him. If the Lord calls us to do something, we need to trust Him to go before us to make it happen. You know the good news? If we're called by God, then the, the increase in the fruit is up to Him, not you anyway. Amen? You know what? The size of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz five years from now has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Lord. Amen? All we need to do is be obedient to teach God's Word, to love God's people, be contagious Christians at work, contagious Christians in our neighborhood, and watch what God does. Last Sunday, there were probably 15 people I'd never seen before. I didn't invite any of them. You know what happened? Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And to God alone be all the glory. And so let's just be obedient and be faithful to what God calls us to do. But when he says, I am a man, he's humble and broken before God. That's a good thing, but we must never doubt. And we don't tell the Lord over and over and over again, I'm not worthy. The reality is we know that's true, but if he's called us, he will equip us. So tonight, here's what we're going to look at. We've looked at the... the the attributes of a successful ministry, now we're going to see it put into practice. We're going to see those very things that he has been taught put into practice as he goes before Pharaoh. So tonight, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the omniscience of God. The word omniscience or omniscience means that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Amen? You know, there's some people that say, well, God can't know things that haven't happened. Well, yes, he can because he's God. He knows everything. All right? God knows the beginning from the end. That's it. Well, wait a minute. I don't understand that. That's right, because you're finite man. He's infinite God, and you don't get it compared to God. You never will. Amen? I'm glad I don't serve a God I can figure out. Then that, my God wouldn't be very big because I'm not that smart, right? Amen? But God is so much greater than us, so much more powerful than us, and so much more knowledgeable than us. The Bible says the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. God is so much wiser. So God knows everything, and we're going to see that tonight. We're also going to see that Moses and Aaron, uh, and Aaron are going to be used by God because they respond in obedience. And then lastly, we will see the omnipotence of God. 
Omniscience means all-knowing. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He's not only all-knowing, he knows everything, but he's all-powerful. He can do anything. Why? Because he's God. And you know what? When we pray and we know that that's the God that we serve, man, there's no holds barred what God can do. We know that he knows everything and that he is powerful enough to do anything. We're going to see God reveal that power tonight. In Exodus 5, verse 2, Moses and Aaron's first encounter with Pharaoh, Pharaoh responded to the request to allow Israel to go. And what did he say to him? He mocked him. And he said this, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor I let Israel go. Well, guess what? Pharaoh's going to find out who the Lord is tonight. He's going to find out who he is for the next seven chapters, the next six and a half chapters. He's going to find out who this Lord is that he's mocking. Well, who's the Lord? You know, you got to realize that in Egypt, they had many, 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 many gods, many gods. And he said, who's Yahweh? Never heard of him. Oh, I'm not going to obey him. Never heard of him. Besides, look at his people. You're a bunch of slaves. What kind of God could you be serving? Well, he's going to find out tonight just who the Lord is. Those who continue to walk in rebellion to him will one day stand before him. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's going to see both his power and he's going to see the powerlessness of the Egyptian deities, all these people that they've been serving. In the light of a living God, the only true and living God, everything else man follows is useless. You know, it's interesting. Somebody, Joe Witte, I'll blame him. Joe put a book in my Bible the other day, it was comedy. I opened up my Bible, I'm getting ready to teach on Sunday, and there's a book in here, 101 Helpful Hints for Feng Shui in Your Home. I'm like, that's just wrong, that was just comedy, so I'm reading it. So I opened this thing up, because it is so sad that in the light of the Word of God that somebody would believe this noise. Some of the things said, like, when you buy a new home, make sure that you have yin and yang numbers in your address. And you know what, you should, you should have each number a little higher than the other number on your home, unless the last number is four, then have them the other way. Who makes up these rules? And it talks about, you know, having your, and don't have a split-level home because the chi gets confused, and it bounces around in the wrong directions, and, and it leaves with your visitors. You know, and I'm, I'm reading this thing, and I'm going, there are people that read this noise and are at home, oh, we got to move the bed, oh, well, we've got to get a fountain, put a fountain right there, got to get a wind chime, put, put, oh, oh, very lucky. And it says, oh, and you want wealth, put an aquarium in your living room, you'll have great wealth. And I've known people with aquariums, aquariums in their living room who got evicted, so that doesn't seem to work. So the reality is that the sad part is that people are following after noise because they don't get it. And Egypt was all about feng shui and the god of the Nile River and the god of this and the god of, they had a god for every kind of god you could name. Kind of like Santa Cruz. And so they're chasing every God in the world. And guess what? The true and living God is going to show up. And they're going to find out that all these other gods you're serving, worthless. Just like feng shui and moving your bed around and putting pyramids on. It ain't going to work. You know, channeling the chi. What is chi anyway? Man, that's something you put on a ham sandwich, right? But I, I, I don't get it. And the reality is that people are falling into these traps because they don't know the word of God. Let's take a look beginning in chapter 7. We're going to see that our God is all-knowing. We don't serve a, a God of some man's imagination. We don't serve some movable power that's based on where our bed's positioned in our bedroom. We serve the true and the living God. Let's look beginning in verse 1. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Now in Exodus 4.16, he told Moses that he had made him as God to Aaron. So he said, I've made you as God to Pharaoh, and I've made you as God to Aaron. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Moses is a God? The answer is no. Remember that when the book of Exodus was written, and when this was happening, how many pages of the Bible did they have at this point? Zero. There was no Bible. 
They, didn't, they couldn't just flip open and say, well, we need some counsel from the Lord. Let's, turn, let's flip, you know, flip the Proverbs and take a look. They couldn't do that. So what did God do? God spoke through men. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to be the conduit through which I, you are going to be the conduit through which I speak to Pharaoh. And you're going to be the conduit through which I speak to your brother Aaron. So Moses, I'm going to speak to you and then you're going to speak to them. Now what an awesome picture that is. Because Moses was going to be that vessel to Pharaoh or to the world. And he was also the vessel to Aaron or the high priest of Israel. So just as the word of God today, what does the word of God today do? The same thing that Moses did back then. The word of God gives direction to those who believe in him, those who know the Lord, but it also reveals sin to a lost world. And as Christians, we too should be like Moses was. We should be salt and light and encouragement to a lost and a dying world, pointing them to the truth. And at the same time, we should be those who, who hold up their hands and walk alongside believers. So Moses is a conduit through which God spoke, and so are we to be conduits through which God speaks. And the ultimate conduit through which God speaks is right here. Amen? 66 books, 40 authors, 3 continents, 3 languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And so this is the conduit that we have today. So we don't need a guy like Moses sitting around speaking for God because God has spoken for himself in his word. But at the same time, he says, Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now, Aaron is divinely appointed to be the spokesman for Moses. He would deliver the message given to Moses by God. Now, I think it's interesting that Aaron is going to hear from Moses, the conduit of the Lord, and then he is going to get up and pronounce the truth to men. You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of what I do as a pastor, or what you do when you share your faith. The Holy Spirit ministers to your heart, and then God speaks through you. Amen? And so that's what's happening with Aaron. Moses is ministering to him, and Aaron gets up, and he's obedient to what God has called him to teach, and he opens up his mouth, and he shares it. Should be nothing more than conduits or mouthpieces for the Holy Spirit, one who speaks on behalf of another. Verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send his children out of Israel, out of his hand. The children of Israel out of his hand. Now, you shall speak all that I command you. Where does all wisdom come from? It comes from God. Man has no wisdom. Man is foolish. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why? Because the counsel of the ungodly is always wrong. Why do we turn to our unsaved friends and seek their counsel? We never should. Why? Because they don't have any answers. Well, he's really smart. doesn't make any difference. If he doesn't know God, he's dead in his trespasses and sins. He says, tell Pharaoh to send Israel out of his land. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the same message that they had taught Pharaoh the first time. And what did Pharaoh say? Who's the Lord? Never heard of him. But yet he says, go back and tell him the same thing. Go back and tell him that I want him to let my people go. Do you notice that they didn't change the message? Do you notice they didn't say, oh, well, he wasn't receiving the heavy message. Why don't we, you know, put it on PowerPoint and water it down a little bit and give it three points and, and have some music playing in the background so it's not too offensive and maybe he'll get it this time. He didn't tell him to do that. He said, go back, tell him the same thing that you said last time. We don't change the message to fit the people. The people need to change their hearts to receive the message. Amen? We don't water it down, dial it down, make it less, make it different. Oh, well, let's repackage it and, you know, put, a, put, a feng, put it in a feng shui box. You know, we don't do that. We don't sit there and try to change the truth so that people will receive it. We need to be obedient to the truth. So they went back and they told them the exact same message that they had told them the first time. Again, may we never water it down to fit the needs of men. Verse 3, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So wait a minute. 
We see God's omniscience. We see that God's all-knowing because he says, I want you to go back and I want you to give him the same message. And when you do, he's not going to listen. Boy, that's a, great, that's a great exciting thing to tell somebody on a mission trip. Hey, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise a bunch of money. We're going to put some skit teams together. We're all going to go and we're going we're to sacrifice for months. And then we're going to get on a bus. We're going to drive down 16 hours into Mexico. And we're going to spend three weeks down there in 120 degree heat with no toilets and uh, no running water. And no one's going to get saved. And then we're all going to come back. Now, you know, not too many people will be signing up for that, right? But the reality is that that's what, you know, you're going to go, he's not going to listen. But I want you to go do it anyway. You know, the reality is that the salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? And it's not our job to save anybody because we can't. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we are called to walk in obedience to preach the truth without compromise. And so that's what he told him. You go back, he's going to harden his heart, he's not going to listen to you. And then with multiple signs and wonders, he's going to verify the authority of the fact that these guys were actually sent by God. Verse 4. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. So the Lord tells Moses that Pharaoh's hardness would result in God's great judgment on Egypt. And we're going to see over the next six chapters, you want to talk about judgment? It doesn't get much heavier than this. Basically, what we see is a prelude to what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, what's going to happen during the tribulation. We did get a, we're getting a softer version of what's going to be really heavy when you get to the end times after God snatched the church away. So it says there in verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So in the end... They're going to know. But initially when you go, they're going to reject you. And initially when you come, they're not going to listen. And then I'm going to have to bring heavy-duty judgment, and I'm going to use you as the conduit to bring that judgment upon the land. And then at the very end, they're going to finally understand that I'm the Lord. So let's review real quick. Moses has already gone to Pharaoh once, and he felt totally inadequate. I'm slow of speech. And what happened? He got kicked out. told him, I'm not listening to you. Then what happened? He went back to his people, and what did his people say to him? It said in Exodus 5, verse 21, You have made us, an, made us aberrant in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of their servants to put a sword. They put a, you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So now Moses says, wait a minute. I went down here. Pharaoh told me to get lost, and I've only made things worse for Israel because now they've got to make bricks without straw, and if they don't make enough, they're going to beat them. So I've brought more harm to them than good, and now the Lord wants me to go back and tell them the same message, and he's already told me they're not going to listen when I get there. This is great. Now, here's the reality again. We, God knows better than us. And sometimes God is going to call us to do things that we don't understand. God's going to tell you to do something and you're thinking, man, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. You know what? It doesn't have to make sense to you. Amen? You walk in obedience to the calling of God upon your life. So how does God, how does God respond to Moses? He says, you and Aaron are to go back to Pharaoh. They're not going to listen to you. But before it's over... In the end, there will be some fruit. Now, while the end result might have been wonderful, at the same time, initially, it seemed difficult. So go share your faith. The initial reaction will be no one will listen. They'll mock you. They'll ridicule you. It'll bring hardship to your family. Can you imagine if someone recruited you for that? Understand, the Bible says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When you became a Christian, God didn't say you were going to be on the cruise ship to heaven and everything was going to be perfect from now until you die. On the contrary, he told you that you're going to go through difficulties in your walk with God. If you're in the world and not of the world, if you're sold out for God, people are not going to like you. People are going to ridicule you. People are going to mock you. The Bible says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. Oh, how happy are you. Why? That means God must be using you. So if we're not being persecuted, God must not be using you. 
You must be melding in with everybody else. You must be fitting into the world. That's not good. Persecution is a good thing. It means I'm being salt in a very dark place. So how have we reacted? How would Moses and Aaron respond to these marching orders? Look at verse 6 and 7. We'll see the answer. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So when the Lord told them, look, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be rejected. They're not going to heed your words. They went anyway. And you know what? Here's the good news, you guys. Again, it's God's job to bring the increase. I can't make the results happen. A lot of times we think, well, if I just get the right way of wording things, if I get the right track, if I get the right... And again, we should be equipped. We should know what we believe and why we believe it, and we should be able to share our faith in a real concise and understanding way. But people are not converted because I present a good argument. People are converted because their heart is broken by God. The Holy Spirit ministers to them, and they see their need for a Savior. And we just happen, you know, some plant, some water, some harvest. Sometimes you're just planting. You don't know. Other times you walk in and God lets you reap the harvest. He's bringing the harvest, but God allows you to be that tool in the master's hand. And so they walked in obedience and they went. Look at verse 7. So Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now this is interesting because it says here that Moses was 80. Now we know that Moses' life was broken up into three 40s. 40 years as a prince in Egypt. 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And you know what? When he was out the backside of the desert, he didn't know if that was going to be the rest of his life out in that desert. And you know what? You don't know the plan that God has for you, but God knows the plan. Amen? He knows what's next. You might think, man, most of of the work God's going to do in my life is behind me. Well, that may not be true. Because here he is, 80 years old, two-thirds of his life is gone, and God's just beginning to really use Moses in a mighty and a powerful way. And the next 40 years of his life, he's going to be the, the man used most by God of anybody on the entire planet. And just before this, he was out watching a bunch of sheep with a stick in his hand. What is God, God's ways are better than our ways. God has an awesome plan for us. We just need to be obedient and watch out. You never know what God may do with us. So these guys went in obedience, and as we see their age was advanced. But I want to say this. Why were they able to go when they knew that things were going to be difficult? Why were they able to go? And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible tells us to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. When we set our mind on the things of the earth, circumstances can overwhelm us. Circumstances can seem unbearable. It can seem like there's no way this isn't going to work. But when you set your mind on, on things above, your perspective on everything changes. Losing your job could be a, is a blessing because God's in control and He'll use it for His glory if we'll let Him. Sickness in my family, difficulty, whatever. God's faithful. You know what? I've done funerals and sometimes it's real difficult when somebody dies and they seemingly are young but the reality is that if you compare it to eternity if i'm going to spend the next 50 billion years billion years after that and forever and ever after that in heaven with almighty god what does that compare to living 10 more years on this planet amen and nobody who's died and gone to heaven has ever wanted to come back i promise you Amen? This is, this is a dung heap. Heaven's perfect. Jesus is there. No, no more pain, suffering, sorrow, or death. We're going to be in His presence forever and ever and ever. And if the, Lord, if, you know, if the Lord chooses to take me tomorrow, that'd be just fine with me. But while I'm here, I want to be faithful. I want to live every day for His glory. And you know what? If you have your eyes on Him, it doesn't matter what the world does to you. It doesn't matter if you lose your house. It doesn't matter what ha- Why? Because it's all chaff. 
It doesn't matter. And Moses and Aaron said, Lord, you say, okay, we're going. And you know what? We may catch some heat when we get there. They didn't know if they were going to be beaten. They didn't know what. They knew that in the end, God would be glorified. But they didn't know how it was going to get there. They just trusted the Lord. And we need to be the same way. We're seeing, again, the practicality. As Christians, we walk, as we walk through life, there's going to be times of joy, times of blessing, but also times of trial and times of difficulty in ministry. And everything that happens is preparation for what's next. Everything that's happened to you in your life thus far is God's preparation for what He's going to do with you next. Some of you, you may, again, you may think the best is behind you, but what God is doing in you now is preparation for what's next. If you're in the middle of a trial right now, I promise you that God is going to use this as an opportunity for the gospel in the future. I promise you. Why? Because somebody will come up and they'll be in the midst of the trial you're in a year from now when you're not in it anymore. And they'll say, but nobody understands. You'll be able to say, well, yes, no, I do. I know exactly what you're going through. Well, I just lost my job and my, my wife lost her job and my family and it's just a mess. I've been exactly where you are. Let me tell you what God did. And you're able to share your testimony and point people to Christ. And you know what? Without a test, we can have no testimony. Amen? Without trials and difficulties of life, there's nothing that we can share about the greatness of our God. And so Moses is going to go, and it's going to be difficult, but at the same time, God is going to use it for his glory. And it's going to make uh, Moses and Aaron both more awesome men of God. Move on to verse 8. Now we're going to see the omnipotence of God. We've gone from the, the, the omniscience, the fact that God's all-knowing. He's telling them in advance everything that's going to happen. And now we're going to see that he is all-powerful. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show me a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take the rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So he says, now here's what I want you to do. When you go, you're going to be challenged by Pharaoh. And he's going to say, I've never heard of your God. Show me something to prove that your God's real. Now you've got to realize again that in Egypt, very much of their religion or their, all, their, all their deities were tied up in magic and sorcery. That's what they were all about. Sounds like Santa Cruz. It was tied up in sorcery, and it was tied up in, you know, signs and wonders. And I want to show you, as we're going to see tonight, that Satan is a great counterfeiter of signs and wonders. You know, Satan can do signs and wonders. He can. And that's why we don't follow after only the signs and the wonders. Amen? They better be in agreement with, God, with the Word of God. If you follow only signs, signs and wonders, it'll lead you straight to destruction. You need to make sure that you know what the Bible says. So he says again, revealing the foreknowledge of God, he says, you're going to go, and when you get there, Pharaoh's going to challenge you to do some kind of a miracle. And here's what I want you to do. I want Aaron to take the rod in his hand, I want him to throw it down and let it become a serpent. Now where have we seen that before? When Moses was called by God, what did he do? God told him. He said, How, but I'm a stutterer. How can you use me? And he says, let me show you my power, Moses, just a minute. He's speaking from a burning bush at the time, right? I want you to take that staff and throw it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent. Now I want you to pick it up by its tail. You don't do that with snakes, but if God tells you to, that's what you do. So he reaches down, he grabs it by the tail, and boom, it becomes a staff again. He puts his hand in his bosom, brings it out. It's covered in leprosy. He puts his hand back in his bosom, brings it out. No more leprosy. He turns water into blood before his eyes. He said, wait a minute, that's who I am, and I'm going with you, Moses, so let's go. And you know what? If you know that God's on your side, that's great. So that had been shown to him. And then when he got to Israel, what did he do? He called all the Israelites in and said, guess what? I'm the deliverer, the one you've been waiting for. I'm here. And by the way, let me prove it to you. He dropped the same rod on the ground. It turned into a snake and he picked it up by its tail. He did the same three miracles in front of Israel. And it says they all bow down and worship the Lord. He's going to do the same thing in front of Pharaoh. Do you think he's going to get the same reaction? So here's the reality. The seed is always the same. It's the Word of God. But the reaction can be very, very different based upon the hearts 
of men. So let's take a look at verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, and the magicians of Egypt. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Now, so he comes in and he drops it down, and it becomes a snake. And Pharaoh goes, oh, I've seen that before. And he calls in his magicians, these soothsayers. And the word there, enchantment, means to practice witchcraft. And so these guys come in, and they drop their sticks on the ground, and they become snakes too. He goes, oh, I've seen that trick before. Now, who do you think made those sticks into snakes? Satan. Who is behind every false religion in the world? Satan. It's not just something some man made up one day. Let me just tell you right now, Satan's behind all of it. Why? Because he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. If Satan showed up at people's house and had horns growing out of his head and a pitchfork in his hand, speaking like this, people would probably not follow him. Do you think? Came to your house, come to me, come with me to hell. No, no, dude, I ain't going. I mean, nobody would go. But what does he do instead? He comes in your door and, we're from the Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, we're dressed real nice and... From the pit of hell. No different than the guy with the pitchfork. We're from the, church, the Mormon church. I'm telling you, it's all from the devil. Why? Because it teaches a lie. And they come in and they're throwing down the rods and these guys are magicians and they're from the devil. Man, I'm telling you, the devil desires that we be destroyed. And so he wants to distract us and take our eyes off of Jesus and get, us, get our eyes on anything else but him. Anything else but the truth. And so these guys come in and drop them down. Now it's interesting to me that God's going to reveal his power. Because look what he does. I kind of like this. And matter of fact, they, had it in the, they have it in the Ten Commandment movie. But here we see again. Here's a counterfeit sign. They throw it down. And it says, For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. So here's the counterfeit sign of Satan. He throws it down. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, and he will do powers and signs and wonders. That's speaking of the Antichrist. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to do powers and signs and wonders. Where's he getting that power? Satan. Where do people get this stuff? Some of you have watched the tapes that I have. They sold their souls to rock and roll. There's a lot of people on there that have literally got their power from the enemy. Why? So that Satan might be glorified. Because Satan wants to use that to bring people and get them away from the true and living God. And so here we see them come in and they drop their, their sticks down and they turn into serpents. But I love the end of this. This is great. Because I, I think God has a sense of humor. And God, here, watch what happens. It says here, but Aaron's rod swallowed up the other ones. So these guys drop all their sticks on the ground, and guess what happens? His snake starts, just swallows up all the other snakes. Yeah, well, you can make counterfeit snakes. You guys can make counterfeit things, but here's the reality, guys. There's only one true and living God. And let me show you how, how much more powerful I am than you. And, and his snake swallowed up the other snakes, and he grabbed it and it turned back into a rod again. Interesting that one of the gods that was served in Egypt was the god that represented the serpent. The name of that god, I wrote it down here somewhere, starts with a T, Thermuthis, the goddess of fertility, harvest, and fate. And it was represented by this same kind of a serpent. But guess what happened? Got swallowed up. So much for your god in Egypt. Not going to work. Your God's no good. Why? Because there's a true and a living God. That's something that the enemy made up, that you made up. It's not real. There's only one God. There's only one way. There's only one truth. So you'll notice that the same serpent was dropped, the same seed was planted, the same word was delivered, but it was received in a different way. Why? Because it was a hardened heart. He didn't receive the word because he's the Pharaoh. And he just 
He, wa- he wanted to serve the Egyptian gods. Verse 14. So we move on, or excuse, uh, verse 14. So now we move on from God showing his all power, he's all powerful by doing this sign and wonder. And now we're going to see the beginning of the plagues. And I want to tell you what, that word plague, this is heavy duty what happens here. I, I mean, we can't even begin to understand how heavy this is. And this is only the first of ten plagues. We're only going to see one tonight. But as we continue to go week by week, it's amazing how hard-hearted Pharaoh can be that all these plagues are happening and he still won't repent. He still won't give up the throne. He still won't just let go. And you know what? It's so much like the world will be even in the end times. So this first plague, he's going to turn water into blood. And each of these ten plagues has a threefold purpose. Here's what they are. One, to reveal God's power and the validity of his message. Two, to refute the power of Egypt's false gods. And three, to force Pharaoh to soften his hardened heart and eventually let Israel go. So let's begin at verse 14 and take a look at this first plague. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the, the rod which is turned into a serpent you shall take in your hand. So here again we see the omniscience, the omniscience, the fact that God is all-knowing. And he said, tomorrow, here's what I want you to do. In the morning, I want you to go down by the river. When you get there, by the Nile, when you get there, Pharaoh's going to be there. And when Pharaoh's there, I want you to take your staff with you, and I'm going to show you what to do. Now what's interesting is that Pharaoh apparently, I believe, went out each morning either to bathe, but more likely to perform a religious ritual. Because it says there in verse 15, in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand there. And that the tent there is like he does this every day. So when he goes out to the water, and they believe that the Nile was a god. Why? Because it was a god that provided their sustenance. It was, you know, if you don't have water for a while, things get real tough. You know, our bodies are made up, I don't know what the percentage is, somebody probably does. I know it's a high percentage of water. Anybody know what it is? 78%, 80%, I was going to say 80%, something, a lot of water. If we don't have water for, very, for a very short amount of time, we're in big trouble. And so we need water to live. And because the Nile provided life to Egypt, they viewed it as a god. And you know what? They're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Amen? You know, people have worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars, still do today, astrology and all these other things that people, we were at the, at the uh, vet's hall and there were people chanting to the moon god. The moon god? Who made the moon? That's, that's the true and living god. Don't chant to the moon. Somebody made the moon. Amen? And so they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so Pharaoh goes down there and, and by the way, they thought Pharaoh was a god. They equated him to godlike status. So the god Pharaoh went down to worship the other god, the water, and he went down there and Moses and Aaron show up. Now remember the last time they saw him, he said, who's Yahweh? We don't believe in him. We don't trust in him. We don't need him. And so they show up and they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Verse 16. And you shall say to them, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go. They, they may serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now, you would not hear. She says, go in, I want you to tell him. Now, as the message changed, he's going to Pharaoh, and what's the message? It's the same message. We're not changing it. We're just going to keep speaking it until their hearts are softened to hear it. We don't change the message to reach the people. We pray that the people's hearts would be changed to receive the message. Again, now, it's interesting. Look at verse 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. Now, why would God 
turn water to blood. Why is this the first plague? As I was sitting in my office today and just praying about this and studying, God showed me several things on why I believe this was the first of the plagues. Number one, they worship the Nile as a god. So right off the bat, they're going to find out that this Nile is no god. After trusting in this water, if it turns to blood, it's going to be going from being the, the sustainer of life to being a plague upon them. And that's not what a god does, and they're going to find out it's not a god anymore. We're also going to see that water is such an incredible necessity of life, drinking, bathing, etc., that the loss of it revealed their total dependence upon God himself, not the water. It's going to get their eyes off the water and get their eyes on God. Say, wait a minute, who did this? What's the source of this? We can't trust in the water anymore. We've got to trust in God. We're also going to see that the stained river, they had stained the river previously with the Hebrews, the Hebrew baby's blood. Remember that when Moses was born 80 years earlier? What did they say? You go out and you find all the babies, and if you find a boy, a baby boy, what are you supposed to do with him? Toss him where? In the river. And they had stained the river with the blood of Hebrew babies, and now the Lord was going to turn the entire river into blood to reveal himself to them. We also see that it's a picture of the second and third bold judgments that God will pour out upon the earth in Revelation 16. The seas, the fish, and the water will all, and the fresh waters will all be turned to blood during this last, last half of the Great Tribulation. We also see that I believe this correlates with Jesus' first miracle. What was Jesus' first miracle? What did he do? Water into wine at a wedding, right? In Cana. He turned water into wine. And it's interesting to me that Moses in the Bible is a representation of the law. And the law reveals to us that we are sinners. The Bible says from the time of Moses on that death reigned. Death was what reigned during the time of Moses. Why? Because there was still a need for a Savior. Amen? But when Jesus came, He didn't turn water into blood. He turned water into wine that would point to His grace. What happens here with Moses points to the law and that man is sinful and man is under the plague of death and the plague of sin. But when Jesus came, through His grace, He's going to take away the plague of sin and death. He's going to triumph over sin and death. And He's going to bring us grace and truth. So Moses is a representation of the law. And Jesus is a representation of truth and grace. And it's not by chance that the first miracle Jesus performed correlates with the first plague in Egypt. Lastly, it points to the coming judgment. Because what happens after they get out of Egypt? Who remembers? What happens? What does the army do? From Egypt. They follow him. And they follow him into where? Into the Red Sea. Pretty appropriate name. And they go into the Red Sea. And what happens after all the Israelites pass through? The water falls. God parts it. And the water falls back in on them. And guess what? It's filled with blood once again. Why? Because of God's judgment on people who are rebellious against him. People who will not accept him. People that deny his word. People that say, who is the Lord? I don't know who he is. Judgment will come to them. Verse 18. In the Fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So guess what? This is not a fun plague. Because here's what happens. Not only does all the water turn to blood, which means now you have nothing to drink, but all the fish are going to die. And that was a staple in the Egyptian diets. Now they don't have any more fish. Can you imagine what water turned to blood filled with dead fish might smell like? So not only is it bloody and messy, and you don't have food anymore, but it reeks. And you know what? Sin has a stench that comes with it. Amen? And this is what's happening here. God is revealing to them just how wicked and just how perverse their sin is. 
Verse 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch your hand over the water of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over all the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of water and pitchers of stone. So not only did all the water in the rivers turn to blood, not only did all the waters in the ponds turn to blood, but if you had a pitcher of water sitting in your kitchen, and when you went to pour it, guess what came out? Blood. God's judgment is complete upon those who reject Him. All of them. And it all turned to blood. And it all began to reek. And it was painful. Why? Because they had rejected the Lord. Do you understand that these plagues, while they were punishment, were not ultimately for punishment? You know what they were for? To bring Egypt to repentance. You know what? In the the end, when we've all been snatched away, at the, end of, at the beginning of the tribulation, there will be a rapture of the church. After three and a half years of peace on the earth, the Antichrist will bring peace, he'll be ushered in, they'll put him in this place of authority, and then he'll reveal himself to be who he is. And the last three and a half years on the earth, there's going to be such mayhem, the bold judgments and the, ju- the trumpet judgments that come from, from God, that it'll make these plagues look like a walk in the park. But you know what's amazing is? The people will not repent. Very few. A small number will, but most people will not repent. 120-pound hailstones will be falling out of the sky that are on fire, and people will still not repent. There will be darkness. There will be head-to-toe sores. It will be the most heinous thing. It will be a picture of hell on earth. And you know what? People will still not repent. Why? Because of pride. I don't want to give my life to God. I don't want to... You know, have you ever disciplined your kids, and then they just get more mad at you? They just don't want to repent? You know what I mean? You say something to them, and they get that Adamic nature. Kids all have it. Sorry, guys. It's a reality. Your precious little baby has an Adamic nature, which means sinful from birth. Most of you know that because you've got kids, and you're around them, and that's how they act. They're selfish, and mind, mind, that's how they are. And you have to swat them. But here's the reality. that Kids, they have that Adamic nature, and they get prideful. And that's how Pharaoh was. You're not going to tell me. I'm the Pharaoh. I'm a god myself. You can't tell me what to do. And we're going to see that each plague comes as more and more heinous, and he's still not going to repent. It absolutely blows my mind, but it reveals again that the heart of man is wicked and perverse above all things. Let's finish up, verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded him. So he lifted up the rod, he struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of the Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died, and the river stank. That's heavy. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. What percentage of people's lives were impacted by this? Everybody. Not one person escaped this judgment. No one. And guess what? Not one person is going to escape God's judgment. No one. Everybody will stand before God one day. Nobody is going to get away with anything. The only thing that will happen is, because of His shed blood on the cross for us, we will escape judgment if we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. If we're trying to get there any other way, it's going to be useless. Now look at verse 22. This is interesting. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed as the Lord had said. So what happened? The blood is throughout all the land, and so Pharaoh's magicians come in, and what do they do? I don't know where they found whatever little water they found, but they dug it up or did something, and then they turned it into blood to prove that they could turn it into blood too. But isn't that just like Satan? Satan doesn't come and restore something. He just makes things even worse. 
He didn't come and turn it back into water. Now, that would have been a feat, but God wasn't going to let that happen, right? And if they really wanted to prove something, turn it all back into water. They didn't do that. They found some water somewhere. We see that the people were digging around in the ground trying to find water. They may have found a little bit of water somewhere, and they turned that water into blood to prove, see, we can turn it into blood too. And isn't that just like Satan? He wants to destroy. His design is to steal, kill, and destroy. He didn't turn it back into water. And even those people that are devoted to him, he wants to destroy them. You know, some of the music we see that's going around, and, and I want to encourage you guys, especially if you've got teenagers, you know, Marilyn Manson and some of this, I mean, it's just out of control. You know, Marilyn Manson said that when he dies, what he wants to happen is he wants everybody he knows to come to his funeral, and then he wants, about halfway through the funeral, a bomb to explode in his, in his coffin and kill everybody that comes to his funeral. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to serve. Now, here's the thing. That's Satan. Satan says, you're my most devoted follower. I want to destroy you. Why? Because he's going to be destroyed, and misery loves company. Verse 23, And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the waters turned to blood. All of your people are dying of thirst. There's no fish. There's no, it's, it's a total disaster in your land, and he just goes home. Great. I mean, I want to follow this guy. That's the kind of guy. Let's vote for Pharaoh. I mean, look at that guy. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's not worried about anybody but himself. He just says, well, I'm going home. And his heart is hardened. And he doesn't care about his people. And that's very much like the enemy that he was serving. Verse 24. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So not only did this famine or this pestilence come and all the water turned to blood, but it went on for seven days. And the scary part is we don't see one place in the Bible anywhere that during those seven days that Pharaoh even went and tried to talk to Moses about it. You think if you cared for your people, you might go to Mo- hey, Moses, can we work something out here? Or, I mean, you, you think you'd at least talk to him? I mean, is there something we can do? How about if I let 10% of the people go? He didn't do anything. He just said, tough. I don't care. I don't care what happens. And you know what breaks my heart? Is I talk to people about the Lord, and they act the same way. There's people that say, I don't care. If I go to hell, fine. Yeah, it's fine. I'll go to hell. That's fine. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. I had a guy at work tell me that. I don't care if I fr- I don't care. I fry, I'll be, you know, I'll spend the first 50 years shaking hands with all my friends. Uh, you ain't going to be shaking hands with nobody because the Bible talks about you being alone. And there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I said, and, and, and he says, well, I don't care why you even care, Dave. I said, let me ask you a question. If somebody in the office here was joking around about committing suicide, you think that's something to joke about? He said, well, no. I said, going to hell is way worse than suicide. Way, this is forever, man. And you're joking around about spending eternity in the most place of the most incredible torment forever and ever and ever. And I care about you, man. And I, I don't think it's funny. You can think you can joke. It's not funny. And the scary part is that there are people like that. They're hard in their heart. They don't care. They don't want to turn. I want to be on the throne. It's all about me. And you know what? If I have to go to hell, then tough. I'll go. Oh. I remember one time I was doing some street witnessing down in Southern California. And this guy was just so adamant. And I had this guy with me that was really kind of, you know, outgoing. And this kid said, I don't care if I go to hell. The guy goes, really? So he grabbed his hand, took a lighter out, and put it under his hand. <laughs> and you can start smelling the skin burning. And the guy goes, hey! And he goes, I thought you didn't care if you went to hell. Do you think that's tough? Bro, that's nothing. That's not. I mean, you do that head to toe, magnified a thousand times, sores, weeping, and no water. Oh, it's not good. You don't care if you go to hell? And, you know, it didn't really work, but the reality is <laughs> but that, that we, need to have, we need to be praying that God would soften hearts because... You know what? So often, it's not the fear of judgment. It's the love of God that leads people to repentance. That's what the Bible says. It's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
The guy's standing on the box going, you're all going to fry. Not very many people repent around that box. Most people, it's the kindness and the love of God shining through us on a hurting and a lost world. People in our world are looking for the answer, you guys. Some of them think they're finding it in their career or in money or in relationships or whatever. But the reality is, deep down, they know that something's missing. And they don't truly have peace. And they never will until they come to know Jesus. And that's where we come in. We're the conduit. To Him alone be all the glory. To Him alone be all the, all the honor and praise. Only He can do it. But you know what? He wants us to be obedient and open up our mouths and not be ashamed of Him and watch what God will do. So in summary tonight, as the worship team comes up, we saw God's omniscience and sovereignty. He's all-knowing. He's in control. He's preparing His prophets for the, for the coming rejection that would come. He did that in the text tonight. We saw Moses and Aaron be obedient in the response. We saw that it was 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. In the world today, we kind of flip it. It's like three years of preparation for 80 years of ministry. But in those days, it was 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. We also saw that God's omnipotent, that he answered Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? Do you think he's sitting up there saying, who's the Lord now? That's only one plague. We got nine more. And he's going to find out just who's really powerful. Hey, Pharaoh, you're not so powerful. Oh, by the way, there was a God of the Nile. Where was that God? Sleeping or what? I mean, the God of the Nile, guess what? All got turned into blood. Sothis was the name, God's name. And they worshipped this God, and now that God was useless to them because God had turned the Nile into blood. You know what? We can't serve any other God. We can't serve any other master. They'll all just destroy us. And lastly, we saw the, the um, serpent turned into, in, the, the rod turned into a serpent. And even though it was the same miracle, it got a different result because it's based upon the heart of man. And then the, pla- the, the water turned into blood, a representation and a picture later of what Jesus would do for us. Amen? Well, let's pray and let's close in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, just for the practicality of your word. We thank you, Lord, that after we've been taught your word, that you want us to live it out every single day. We thank you for the example of Moses and Aaron, that, Lord, you, you taught them and then you sent them to live it out. And we thank you that they walked in obedience. And, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to walk in obedience to your command. Lord, to never question you, to never doubt you, but, Lord, to trust you, to always trust you. And, Lord, to know that it's not our job to bring the increase, but, Lord, that you do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, may we walk in obedience. May we shine a light to a lost and a dying world. May we, Father God, be bold for you and not ashamed of you. And may we never change the message to reach the desired crowd. But, Father, may we just be faithful to your word. And, Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close in worship song.